when you're living on the farm, the effects of climate change, the effects of drought, it's very obvious to you. Dad often describes trying to farm as like trying to catch a check in a willy willy. My name is Dan Sims and welcome back to the Mold Cheese Collective podcast, where we speak to the makers, growers, farmers and families who just happen to make the best cheese in Australia. The Meredith Dairy story is a great one. Farmers from the very beginning, Julie and Sandy Cameron knew they needed to value add to their farm and innovate their way out of the pressures and downturn in wool prices in the 90s. So hence, the dairy was born and the rest, they say, is history. For today, Meredith Dairy is arguably one of the most recognised Australian cheese brands in the country. This conversation with son Angus highlights the dedication many Australian farmers and cheesemakers have for their craft. We chatted about how value and quality needs to happen at every level of farming. From the animals themselves, the farmers who nurture them, the land they graze on, and then of course, the cheese itself and the process that makes it happen. It is this full vertical integration that makes Meredith Dairy both unique and successful. We also talk about the future and ensuring the work being done now is sustained for generations to come. This is about sustainability on all fronts, not just environmentally, but socially and economically as well. This is a great insight into what dedication to quality looks like, both long-term and at scale. Let's get into it. Angus Cameron from Meredith Dairy. Welcome to the Mold Cheese Collective Podcast. How are you going? Yeah, very well, Dan. Thanks for having me on. Um, mate, just to kick us off, and I'm going to get you to tell us a little bit about Meredith Dairy, but I'm saying that with a caveat that <laughs> that's probably not a short answer. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe yeah. if you could tell us, start us off, tell us a little bit about how Meredith Dairy came to be. Yeah, so... Um so well, my name is Angus Cameron. My parents um, are the owners and, and directors of Meredith Dairy. They, um, all they ever wanted to do was to be farmers. Um, Dad grew up on a farm in Meredith on, on the family property. And mum grew up on a farm as well. Mum ended up becoming an intensive care nurse and, and Dad was a, uh, a large animal vet. He's actually done his PhD in veterinary science. And... Um, and essentially, they were farming, doing traditional cropping, selling, you know, wool and, and cropping commodities, um, and doing some merino sheep. And um, then sort of the price of wool uh, became quite uncertain. And in the 90s, there was, um, you know, a bit of a recession that sort of knocked around a lot of um, agricultural businesses, especially the ones that were relying on um, those farming commodities. Um, so essentially, they decided to move to value-added um, farm produce. So they, they had their sheep and, and they thought, well, we'll milk the sheep and if Julie can um, can make, uh, you know, 60 uh, wheels of blue cheese a year, uh, that would cover a nursing wage and that would enable them to work full-time on the farm. Um, so that was 1991. Um, about four or five years later, we started milking goats um, for, for someone else, actually. So we were contract milking goats and then one, one day, uh, one week, they didn't need the milk um, so we decided to make some goat's cheese and see if we could sell that. And uh, that's when um, the, you know, the marinated goat's cheese um, came into the picture. And, um, and it's sort of been going from strength to strength since. Um, it's now 
you know, we're about to celebrate our, our 30 year anniversary um, at this point, still 100% owned by um, the Cameron family. Uh, we still have all our own animals on the farm and we still make the cheese on the farm. Um, we sort of make a point out of not buying milk from other producers because we really care about the quality of the milk and sort of the sustainability of the whole end-to-end -end enterprise. Um, so that's kind of, yeah, I don't know if that's a, a decent summary of how we got to where we are, but that's, that's, that's where we are. So I just, on that, like in terms of originally, as I said, you know, the plan was just to um, value-add farm produce so that mum and dad could be farmers. When they achieve that goal, like we've been talking a lot recently about what the next, you know, stage of our life is going to look like, and my parents have now gone to a real sustainability focus. So now um, it's all about, uh, like we've employed a couple of sustainability coordinators. Um, we are, you know, generating a lot of, like we, we've got more, enough solar panels now that if we have any more, we actually need a permit to become a power station. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and we, you know, we have a wood fire boiler on the farm because uh, most of the energy that we use is in um, hot water for washing up and pasteurising milk. So we uh, we actually buy uh, recycled pallets uh, in, in the form of wood chips, and we use that to heat our hot water, which has essentially eliminated our natural gas consumption. Um, and there's all little things like that, you know, because we're a farm, we have this sort of vertically integrated. Um, advantages so you know we can spread the goat beddings on the paddocks and that reduces our need to to bring in um, natural um, synthetic fertilizers and um, and you know we can use the wash up water to, to irrigate plantations of trees and, and on and on and on it goes it's kind of this if you imagine it's almost like this bubble and we've got all these things happening in the bubble and you've got sunlight and co2 coming in and then jars of goat's cheese going out the other side that's that's sort of what we're aiming to do now that uh, sounds like very much like a cheese utopia, and I would. I'm gonna. I'd really love to dive into that uh, in a second. I want to come back to that, and talk, especially in re regards to sustainability and uh, not just environmentally, but also economically. Um, I should have actually said from the start, where exactly is Meredith Dairy? Yeah, well, I, I mean, a lot of people think my mum's called Meredith. <laughs> um, I, you know, you're like, oh, who's Meredith? Uh, no, but Meredith's actually a small country town um, in between Ballarat and Geelong in, uh, in Victoria, which is about an hour and a half southwest of Melbourne. Um, and, um, yeah, so it's uh, – and, and the, the, the original farm started – you know, it's about 10 kilometres outside of Mer Meredith, but it's still – you know, if you're sending a letter to us, you write Meredith on the letter. Um, <laughs> and um, – yeah, and, and the farm has grown from you know about twelve hundred acres to about four thousand five hundred acres now. Well, that's amazing. And and how long's the you said the uh, family of farmers have they always been on the land in that area, or is it sort of something that brought them there? Is it is there a, a like a tradition or heritage in that in that particular place? Yeah. So uh, my uh, my father's uh, great grandfather. Um, Got got it as a, a soldier settlement, um, and there really it was quite a. There was no, you know, there was barely any trees around the house and that sort of thing. So it, it kind of is this, especially our family home. It, it really is a home that was sort of uh, built by my great grandfather, and then uh, a lot of extensions were, were built by my my grandfather, and then my parents have also added some extensions to the house. So um, the whole property and the, the farmstead, it's got a lot of. Um, family roots to it um 
from this you know, the Camerons. <laughs> Camerons. Uh, we call our farm Glen Spain. Yeah. Well, it's uh, what an amazing heritage, and to see it sort of grow over that period of time is is incredible. Um, with the sheep's milk, uh, it's when talking about Meredith Dairy, the importance and I suppose influence um, uh, of uh, that cheese in Australia really can't be you know championed and talked about enough. And we, as in, in particular, talking about sheep's milk cheese because of, I'm assuming like when you were starting in you know this out in 1991 or producing sheep's milk cheese and then onto goat's cheese. By my recollection, there there wasn't that much out there in the market for in a, in particular in Australia for that type of cheese. How was how did the market respond? I mean, to being effectively a, a market leader in championing these types of cheese. Yeah. Um, so I mean, uh, you might, you're almost certainly familiar with uh, Millerwood Dairy um, and Yarra Valley Dairy, um, and so those two um, cheese factories were started around the same time as us, um, and um, and we had a. Um, that there's a, um, a, a, I suppose you'd almost call him an influencer, a, a famous cheesemaker called Richard Thomas, um, which a lot of you listeners might be familiar with. Um, but he actually was sort of on the ground level of um, of setting up um, all three of those um, cheese factories, including our cheese factory. Um, he was someone who, you know, did a lot of travelling, um, you know, ate a lot of different cheeses from all kinds of different parts of the world, you know, go into the caves in, in, in France and, and learn from them. Um, and he actually brought the marinated goat's cheese um, style back to Australia in the form of Persian feta. So, you know, as the story goes, he was on a he was on a bus a bus in, in Iran and got an ear infection, and, and he went to the local um, shaman or something, and the shaman treated his ear, and then he and then he showed him how to make this uh, goat's cheese in clay pots with garlic uh, that was marinated in oil, and they would bury it for three months to marinate. Um, so. Um, so a, a lot of those early days is sort of, um, you know, with, with the special cheese, you know, it was um, a lot of it sort of linked in with, with Richard. And, um, but we, you know, we, um, and, and I was quite young, you know, like I was, you know, five or six years old. I, I do remember eating the, uh, the blue cheese. Uh, we don't make the blue cheese anymore, by the way. Um, uh, and it was very celebrated. Uh, I remember Jacques Ramon came to Australia and, um, a sort of an Australian um, table of of Australian uh, food was put on the table. Nice Australian wine and, and our um, sheep shadow blue was was put on the table. Um, and Mum selected that cheese, especially it was perfectly ripe. And as the story goes, you know, a tear came into Jacques Ramon's uh, eye as he tasted the cheese and, and the wine, and he was just sort of commenting on. How, how special it was to have a great Australian cheese and a great Australian wine. And um, and that was really, I mean, I, I don't know what, that might have been 1994 or something like that. That was really around that time, Australian specialty cheese has really picked up and it's something that I'm very proud of. Um, I, I go to these cheese events. I, I remember going to Mould in Melbourne and just, I just love, you know, you're walking around, you're meeting Brunei Farms and, and you know, um, Wombai Farms up in, in Queensland and, and there's just so much, you know, there's the Barata from New South Wales. There's so much good cheese coming out of Australia and something that we should all be very, very proud of. Oh, it has certainly evolved um, 
I mean, oh, sorry, I have to go back. That what a wonderful story um, with Jacques Ramond and uh, I say talk around that period of time. I remember in my early hospitality career of just starting to taste these types of Australian cheeses because we're so. Uh, trained in, from early days of hospo in the, in the in the 90s that you know good cheese came from France and then there was this real wave of great cheese starting out around that period of time and again to where it's been to where it is today is something that's um, yeah, is just phenomenal and something we all should be very happy, you know proud about. I suppose like what with the Persian especially the Persian feta or the marinated goats feta, um, what do you think? It is, or what do you believe is behind its success? Because it is such a household name. Yeah, well, I mean, I think first of all, goat's cheese is just a beautiful cheese. Um, you know, we um, goat's cheese is it's probably the most popular cheese. I mean, I mean, a lot more goats are farmed in the world than cows, um, and especially across you know the Middle East and, and traditionally across Greece and that sort of thing. That you know, a lot of sheep and goat were were farmed um, both for dairy and for and for meat, and I think that um, part of it is that you know there just wasn't you know a lot of the goat cheese that we ate was was sort of an imported cheese with um, a lot of shelf life on it. You know, like they, when they're importing cheese from France, you know, a lot of the time they'll put six months on it for the same product that we'll put you know seven weeks on, and we put seven weeks on it because we really want people to taste it at its freshest, at its best. Um, whereas, um, and, and I think that the Australians really like that, you know, really clean goat's cheese flavour. It's sort of got um, a lot of sort of um, character to it, um, but it's not offensive. And I think, you know, because of that and then how it's sort of balanced in the oil, I mean, it really is the two components of the flavour where you've got the goat's cheese and then when you get the right, you know, if you if you dip your spoon in, if you get a good ratio of cheese and oil, it is like one taste. You know, it's all balanced. It's all the salt and the garlic and, and the creaminess of the goat's cheese all works together. Um, so I think, um, I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> Making myself hungry. Actually. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm certainly hungry now. And I've got to say, um, hand on heart, I've literally eaten a jar of uh, that goat's cheese uh, as a meal. <laughs> Uh, once before, um, probably post uh, a mold cheese festival and come back with some crackers and just eating it. It is just so – I think it's also that accessibility to that flavour where I think there's a – it's a really interesting one and we're sort of drilling in on that sort of goat's cheese is because I suppose there's that uh, perception about what goat's milk cheese is, whereas you taste this and every – I think if you – put it in front of somebody and said try this feta and they go that's delicious and then if you say to them oh here have this goat's cheese that there's there's sometimes there's this little bit of a disconnect oh, we, we find sometimes going oh i don't like goat's cheese and like yeah. well you just smashed that feta um, <laughs> or, or sheep's milk oh isn't sheep's milk or goat's milk cheese really strong it's like well no yes no but so is cow's milk can be ripe and strong so it's like it's a very and i suppose that's the real interesting part which i love about the murder dairy story is that having especially with sheep's and goat's milk like you know Millua you said Millua before and also Yarra Valley Dairy there's you know the very sort of you know cow cow's milk and also goat's milk um, as well at uh, Yarra Valley Dairy but 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 for Meredith it was uh, unapologetically as you said from the start sheep's milk and then 
goat's milk. I think that's that's been uh, uh, you know <laughs> has probably. Uh, open so many people's eyes uh, and uh, palates to that type of milk. I think that's just amazing. Yeah, I mean, and we so when we um, when we were really um, growing quite quickly, one of the major things we were doing in the sales and marketing team was just doing in-store tastings. So you set up a little table. Someone comes over. Hey, would you like to try some Australian goat's cheese? And the amount of times I've heard, oh no, I don't like goat's cheese. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So towards the end, I was just saying, hey, would you like to try an Australian cheese? And people come over and they'd eat it. And when it was in their mouth, then I'd tell it was goat's cheese. And then the amount of times I've heard, oh, I don't usually like goat's cheese, but this is really nice. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, oh, really? Um, but, um, yeah, and I think that a lot of it, you know, we've always had our own animals. Um, so, so what gives um, especially goat's cheese that strong flavour is when the fat in the oxidi- in the milk oxidizes. Mm-hmm. So when you're um, if you buy milk from from Tasmania and then you ship it over to your cheese factory in Victoria, you know the milk could be could be up to a week old by the time you get it. And when you're storing milk, you need to stir it and you need to chill it. Um, and that process is kind of similar to ice cream making when you think about it. Like when when they're making ice cream, they're stirring it and they're chilling it to incorporate oxygen into the cream um and um uh sorry someone just called me i lost my train of thought um but yeah because we've got the the cheese factory just like i mean in one case that we milk the goats and we don't even use a milk truck there's just a pipe that goes from the dairy to the factory we we literally don't have space to store milk for more than um you know 36 hours so the the milk is just so high quality by the time we make it into cheese um and that's really why you know over time we've sort of stopped making a lot of these blue cheeses we used to make a camembert style cheese as well called woodburn because mm-hmm. um, woodburn's kind of the region that Mer- that we're in in meredith um and we you know because we had this really fresh milk that's why we specialized in making these fresh cheeses um, where there's not a maturing process. You're just turning very high-quality milk into um, cheese. Um, so the actual cheese-making process is is very simple. And I think, you know, if you were going to go out and try to make cheese tomorrow, you'd probably make, you know, goat's cheese, Chev, um, by accident because it is such a simple style of cheese. And this is why having really high-quality milk is really what separates um the boys from the men. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting when you talk about. It. I love that analogy when you're talking about ice cream and stirring and creating that sort of texture. And I think it's uh, where that importance of having that sort of idea of farmhouse and not moving that milk around so much to uh, give you an element of quality control to give you that sort of, uh, I suppose, as you said, well, real quality that goes through. Um, I also love what you talk about, you know, it's just a simple cheese. I, I love I love it when people say that about it. It's like saying, oh, it's just a simple dish. You know, s- simple's really hard. Yeah, yeah. Um, and because yep. there's nowhere to hide yep. in a way. And because, you know, the, the difference between something that's simply good and simply bad is, you know, is quite fine. But, uh, what I mean, what... I mean, f- when you you talk about the quality of the milk, uh, is this and with a farm that you've you're not because you're not bringing in milk from other farms, is that right? Right. So, is that right? 
Oh, well, it's there's a technicality. So we have, um, they're all our goats, but we have, it's not just, you know, one big dairy where there's 10,000 goats. What we do is we have these smaller dairies where um, we can milk all the goats within three hours. And um, the and if you overcrowd the goats, you know, obviously it's, it's not good for the goats, but it's also not good for your milk production. Um, so we end up having these sort of smaller... Uh, dairies scattered, you know, so we've got a 5,000-acre farm and there's four of these dairies on the farm and they're all spaced a couple of kilometres apart. Um, and then we have um, essentially like a share farming relationship. So, for example, there's a, there's a farm where we have a, a New Zealand couple who were milking sheep in New Zealand and then they, they couldn't make any money. They came to Australia and we that uh, they've gone, you know, so they own 20% of the business um, and we... Uh, guarantee purchasing their milk and the price that we pay for the milk actually enables them to have quite a substantial income especially for a dairy farmer something like you know a quarter of a million a year um, which allows them to hire people to help out on weekends and to actually take a holiday and to more importantly reinvest in the farm you know because if because this is one of the things is if there's so much of a disconnect between where the milk is where the milk is milked you know where the, where the animals are milked and where the cheese is made in most circumstances and that really means that the, the manufacturer the cheesemaker is trying to get the cheapest possible price for the milk and that environment then means that the actual uh, dairy farms where the animals are being milked well then the farm the farmer can't look after the animals the way they would ideally like to so often the conditions of the animals you know might be a bit overcrowded or, or they might not getting um, a, a nutrition di nutritious diet that they really need um, and uh, and also it, it does mean things like you know well maybe instead of the milk being picked up every day they'll pick it up every three or four days um, and then that that's how you get old milk mixed with new milk and um, so we, we really value having our own goats um, and it really helps the the sustainability of the operation as well because we have we call it a vertically integrated system so a lot of the, you know, the the, the, the fodder and stuff that the, the goats eat, we actually grow on the farm. And a lot of the uh, the, the manure and the bedding um, from the goat sheds gets spread back on the farm. And even when we make the cheese, you know, so you get curds and whey when you make cheese. And we actually separate the whey uh, and we feed that to some cows. So we buy these cows who are quite low, it's called a bobby calf. It's essentially like a, a cow that is um, it's like a runt. It's not really worth much. And we buy them and we feed them um, the whey along with just, you know, grazing in the paddocks. And they do really well out of it. So it's another way that we're able to sort of, there's, there's, a, there's a waste output that, you know, you imagine if you were a dairy factory in Laverton in Melbourne or something, what would you do with the whey? I mean, you'd probably have to um, pay to dispose of it correctly. Whereas we get to upcycle that waste um, into in back into the enterprise. Um, at, so I, I don't know. Um, I've got a bit sidetracked there talking about sustainability, but but it's it's all connected, is what I'm trying to say. Like it, it, the having our own animals and our own farm absolutely uh, improves our um, ability to consistently produce quality cheese. But it's also one of the major reasons why we believe we're we're a lot more sustainable than um, some of the other alternatives. Uh, I. I'm glad you actually went down that road because I did want to come back to the sustainable uh, sustainable practices that you implement. And clearly, talking to you, Angus, I can hear how passionate you are 
I hate that word passionate, but in the, like uh, there's a real um, resonance with this these practices with you. Tell me, um, when was uh, when did this begin? Um, this approach begin for merit theory. Has it always been there? Has it been a natural evolution? Um, you know, where, where where is this coming from, and what does it actually mean for you guys? That's an interesting question. Look, I do think that when you're living on the farm, the effects of climate change, the effects of drought, it's very obvious to you. A lot of farmers are going to be quite environmentally conscious, especially. I, I think you know, there's not a lot of money in. You know, Dad often describes trying to farm is like trying to catch a check in a willy willy (laughs) and you know it is like that you know and you look at the suicide rates in farmers and that sort of thing and and if you look at even things like um you know award rate like paying rates if you look at farm hands they are the 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 least the, the the longest working hours uh for the least money farming is just not something that you do if you're trying to make money and i so i think that a lot of farmers who choose to be farmers do it because they do love the environment. They want to wake up on a farm, and and that's what they value. So they're, they're ha- you know, so that's now obviously, Meredith, um, we've been quite successful. We've been quite lucky. It has been, you know, financially rewarding for us. But I, it's it's only the more financially rewarding it's become, the more urgent the the sustainability side of things have, has become. I suppose that the more opportunities there has been to, to really reduce our impact, and you know, we're starting to look at other ways. Sandy's actually been um, funding this uh, goat farm, community goat farm in, in South Africa. And it's just, you know, so and they send us updates. And it's really not a lot of money. I mean, you know, I think we put $50,000 towards it or something like that. I, I couldn't, I'd have to confirm that. But that's the sort of thing that Dad gets a lot of satisfaction from is that, you know, now there's this little community goat farm and the sort of the, you know, the village elders have really stepped up and, and it's this real, you know, the, the whole bloody town's working in this goat farm. And um, and anyway, I'm just using that as an example of just how much the the vision has changed over time. You know, it went from, hey, we just want to be farmers. We, we, we want to uh, value-add farm produce so that we can continue to be farmers and we don't, you know, um, we, we're not at the whims of the global commodity market. Um, and then how it's sort of turned into, you know, how can we save the world with goat's cheese almost you know, it's a bit, a bit much but yeah, you get the point it's um yeah um uh, it's thinking i i oh, there's lots to yeah unpack there i i i love what you're talking about in terms of sustainability of not just environmental but also economical and yeah. being primary produce and farmers it's bloody hard work being yeah. of all of the environmental impacts that affect farming from drought to floods uh, and then throw in global pandemics and all of these elements. Um, it's creating well, a... Mice. Look, look at the mice problem yeah. that was going up in New South Wales, yeah. It's like one thing after the other. Uh, and there's that resilience of farmers that uh, is just incredible um, and inspire and... It is. It's important to create an ecosystem that's both environmental and economical. I suppose is what I'm saying. And yeah. and what you're doing there is, um, I think it's you're right. There's that I can t- you can tell the <laughs> there's this, there's this enthusiasm, passion for it, and I, it's so lovely to hear. And and some of these things we we um, we sometimes touch on, but don't really explore enough um, about the importance and value 
that we place on farms. And it's one of those things that uh, buying direct and, and I hope what we try and do with mould and things like that is to encourage people to buy direct and understand that when they're buying from a farm that their money goes towards that farm and and paying a proper price for produce uh, is is key uh, because just because it's cheap doesn't mean it's good yeah well i read i mean it was it was a classic i read this quote on instagram and it said we should stop asking ourselves why good food is so expensive and start asking ourselves why shit food is so cheap correct i think it's so true because you know so often we can go oh you know that that seems expensive but when you actually sort of you know work out you know how much money is actually going back to the farmer um you know it's um and this is why i think you know what you're doing at mold has been so special i mean it's not only the um the direct link but it just be able to to chat with customers and explain our story. Um, I think a lot of people, you know, see us in the supermarket, they sort of think we're some huge, you know, faceless company now or something. And, and the reality is, I mean, I was down there on Monday and, and it's just such a cute little family enterprise. You know, we're all sitting up in the boardroom and I've got my dog on my lap and, and you know, <laughs> looking out over this paddock and there's sheep grazing and, and um, yeah, and and so on the and it's a great point you touched on with sustainability. I think a lot of people think of environmental sustainability, but there is those three pillars of, you know, environment, the the social and you know community um, sustainability, and and then your financial sustainability. Um, so there was actually you know, there's an award. I'm not sure if you're aware of it called the President's Medal, um, but this is an award that's given out to the best of the best of sustainable Australian produce. And it's a war that you can only win once. So you can only enter once per product. And if you win, you can't re-enter it. Um, so my parents actually won that in 2019. Um, they, um, we, we were up against, uh, there was a, a really good um, oyster farmer that was super sustainable. And there was a nose to tail uh, beef company, for example. And, uh, and actually my parents won it. Um, and so we were blown away by that because really, we're talking about sustainability awards. I, I think that's 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 one that's that's probably our greatest achievement um, in terms of awards. Um, something we're very proud of. Um, and actually, that's something. Um, remind. So my parents, we went to Sydney, collected the award. The next day was Good Friday, um, so they drove to Melbourne, and we had this um, meeting with the sales team because my sales team were doing something for the Good Friday appeal. And actually, on the drive home. They were bloody exhausted, as you can imagine, because they'd gone to Sydney, were up all night celebrating and then <laughs> caught a, a flight back to Meredith and then to Melbourne and then back again. And, and mum actually fell asleep on the country roads and doing 100 kilometres an hour and hit a tree. Oh, um, so this happened um, March 2019. <clears throat> Sorry, I was getting a bit emotional thinking about this. Um, but... Yeah, that has been a real wake-up call. Um, both mum and dad ended up in hospital. Um, we were very lucky to not lose either of them. Um, they've experienced some some tough injuries. Mum mum's foot was pretty pretty badly. Um, it was a, in a pretty bad way, and she's now had a fusion on that. And actually, some of Sandy's lower spine was was a bit broken, so he um, similarly had a bit of a fusion. And at that time, 
I mean, obviously, these are my parents and everyone's, you know, the business is still very much reliant on Sandy and Julie. And to go down to the farm um, and to see the how much everyone really cares for mum and dad and how important they are, not to the business, but just to everyone's lives. You know, there's so many people on the farm who are just country people that, um, that you know, have real relationships and, you know, mentoring relationships um, and friendships with, with my parents. And, you know, it really could have been an event that, 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 that destroyed us, really. I mean, I, I don't know what would have happened, but, um, but that, that's been making us think a lot about succession recently and, and what, how we can turn Meredith Dairy into an institution that doesn't just rely on mum and dad. And how can we, um, you know, maybe establish some sort of board um, and keep the sustainability values going um, and just, yeah, um, yeah. So anyway, that's I've sort of <laughs> got another tangent. <laughs> Linking from because what you were saying about the, the three pillars of sustainability, I, I wanted to talk a bit about that. And you've reminded me, you know, one when we're talking about social sustainability, succession is part of that. You know, yeah, because um, you know, it wouldn't be sustainable for Meredith Dairy to just stop overnight. You know, we have 120 staff between the farms and the factory and, and all the admin staff and everything, and um, and yeah, so um, <laughs> oh, Angus, thank you um, now for talking about that and sharing that story. That's obviously deeply personal, and I'm so glad that both Julian and Sandy are okay. Um, and it, it's it is one of those things that's you talk about legacy, uh, and um what that means you know next for for that brand i mean i think it's incredible what you guys are doing uh and the impact that it has uh in not just in local community but with the people who you employ and the farmers that you work with um and in particular you talk about the sustainability and the solar and and the full um circle type of farm uh, I was. It's one of those things. If we were having this conversation, you know, we're in say ten or fifteen years. What would you like to see at Meredith? What would you be reflecting on in say fifteen, twenty years' time? Some of the things that um, that we're trying to do at the moment. Um, first of all, we're trying to develop a bit of a meat, uh, a goat meat market, um, and so I, I love it. If that became a real thing, um, uh, so would I. On a purely yeah. selfishly point of view, I love yeah. that meat. <laughs> and it's fantastic. Goat. I mean, a little um, the, the goat meat in Australia. There's a lot of goat meat that's actually eaten in Australia, but a lot of it comes from um, sort of wild farms up and up in the sort of the the stations where it's just such a rugged country that nothing can survive except for goats. Uh, <laughs> And um, so there's all this wild goat meat that comes and gets and floods the market. And um, so we uh, and we have this beautiful goat meat that's um, uh, you know very consistent um, quality, um, and it's a very consistent age, and um, and it's also sort of milk raised 
um, goat meat. So that's something that, you know, um, you know, I'd really love Meredith Dairy to end up being this sort of bubble where, you know, it's this farming enterprise that's kind of, you know, sustainable across the three pillars. And there's all of these little, you know, products coming out of it. You know, of course, the goat's cheese and the sheep yogurt and, um, and the dairy products. But then coming into more, you know, goat farming and, and even, you know, I heard that uh, Marie Antoinette actually had a, uh, famously had a pair of kid skin gloves uh, given to her by Suta um, Jean, Jean-Paul Jacques or something like that. And, um, <laughs> and but it, it, kid skin gloves, it, it, they, they were a, a very, it's a, it's a beautiful leather. And, um, and so I, I'm, you know, maybe some people wouldn't be into that. They don't like to think about um, that side of, of animal production um, of the death, I suppose. But, um, but, you know, uh, yeah, and then also with the farm farm tours, you know, I'd, I'd love to start doing tours around the farm and, and um, you know, maybe having a little sort of farm gate place that we could get some local wines and some other local produce, um, you know, some great lamb and, and pork from around our region and, um, and, and doing a bit, you know, having people out at the farm so we can sort of tell this story a bit better and people can sort of walk around um you know you're it's it's like a you know people go out there for the first time and they they just look like they're they're high or something you know <laughs> Walking around and they smell that country air and, and the tranquility of it yeah <laughs> and and um yeah so i think that you know these and that, those sorts of things uh would be great um but i think just the overall vision of, of continuing to produce food sustainably continue to reduce our, our impact on the environment. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's that's really we, – we've done a lot of work recently around, you know, um, trying to establish a bit of a strategic plan, you know, and a board and these sorts of things, which a lot, a lot of people might not find interesting, but really that is quite interesting when, you, when, you, when you're taking, you know, like if something did happen to mum and dad um, – you know, it, it all of a sudden would have been very, very relevant. And um, and for mum and dad, you know, like they've planted all these trees and, and they've, the, you know, we've got 16% of our farm, which is about 400 acres or so, um, is reserved for biodiversity plots, you know, where we've got all these native Australian uh, flora and fauna that that's only, you know, because we're on the, the western volcanic plains, which is a very special ecosystem and, and there's not much of it left. So we've actually... You know, we've we've got the golden sun moth. We've got growling grass frogs out in the farm, and we've got all kinds of wildflowers. And Mum found uh, wild yams the other day, and kangaroo grass. And so, I think you know, there is a certain element of you know, it would be just horrible if something happened. You know, if if I you know if something happened to Mum and Dad, and then I decided just to to sell the business to the highest bidder, and, and they ended up tearing down all the trees and and um, and just turning into a big monocrop you know, production farm, um, you know, I think this is where that succession becomes really important. Um, and, um, yeah, so I don't know if that answers your question, Dan. Oh, we, yeah, I, we can't let that happen. Um, and uh, and by the sounds of it, uh, we'll probably soon have a Meredith uh, Dairy Power Station. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. The amount of solar panels you were saying before. We have all the goats on treadmills, and you know, 
like that end of the network. <laughs> I would certainly pay to come and visit and see that. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Angus, Cameron, thank you so much for taking the time to have a chat to us. Oh, my uh, pleasure, man. It is wonderful to uh, check in, hear the story, and, um, and just really dive into all that Meredith Dairy is uh, and has been and the impact and influence that it has on the Australian cheese uh, industry, but also for us cheese lovers as well. So, mate, thank you so much for taking the time to chat to us. My pleasure, Thank you for having me on. Thanks so much for listening in to the Mold Cheese Collective podcast. If you'd like to hear more, we do hope you consider subscribing or even better, share it with your mates or via the socials. It all goes a long way to help us spreading the good word about Australian cheese. If you'd like to get in touch or have any feedback at all, please follow us at the socials at, at Mole Cheese or send us an email to hello at molecheesefestival.com. We've got so many more conversations to come. So until next time, cheers.